All right. As we come to our passage this morning, we are plugging our way through this uh, second section of um, Romans chapter 12, uh, which we started we started last week and looking at a few a uh, few verses about where Paul instructs his people to let our love be genuine. And as I said last week, that now we get to move into another topic, which is a difficult topic. And it is a topic that really grates against our flesh in many, many ways. And that is that we would return evil with good instead of returning evil with evil. And what I want to say before I jump into this, uh, before we read our passage, that I am, as we do this, I'm going to focus on the word forgiveness, even though the word forgiveness is not expressly mentioned here in this passage. And here's what I mean by that, and here's, uh, what, um, here's why I'm doing that. And that is the gist of this passage. It is very easy to understand and is very challenging to do, and that Paul is calling on the church in Rome rather than to return evil for evil. Uh, whenever we are wronged um, to seek revenge or to settle the score in any way, he's saying instead to return evil with good and to persevere in doing good um, all the more, and particularly in a way that hands the idea of judgment over to God rather than taking it into our own hands. And that essentially at its core is what forgiveness is. Because forgiveness is not something where we forgive and forget and where we don't acknowledge uh, wrong that has been done, where we don't acknowledge pain, and where um, there's not even a change in relationships that have been broken. But what forgiveness means is acknowledging the hurt and the wrongdoing that was there, but handing any form of judgment or retribution over to God for his safekeeping and not pursuing it ourselves. And through doing that, to persevere and continuing to love and to do good, even to those who would be our enemies. That's really what forgiveness is. And that is what we are, that's why I'm going to focus here on this word forgiveness. I'm seeing it as the opposite of returning evil for evil. But it is actually the concept of returning things that were done evil for good. And this is, a, this is a tough topic. This is something that hits every single one of us here in one way or another. And we are going to unpack this in several ways. Um, but this is, um, this is one of those passages when unpacking it and trying to, to figure out what to learn from here. It is very easy to see what Paul's saying. There's, not, there's a few things we're going to explain, but there's not a lot. But this is something where we are desperately in need of the Spirit to move in us in a way where we can receive His comfort and we can receive what He is is challenging us with. And it is a very delicate topic. Anytime we're talking about wounds that have been done to us um, and receiving instruction like this, it is challenging. And as we go through this, I want it to be unsettling in a lot of ways. I want it to really dig deep and I want it to challenge us where we are, that we actually would see what we are being called to do. But it is also a very delicate thing, because in a room like this, there are many wounds. There are many of us who have stories of gross, gross wrongdoing, and it is really, really wrong. And that is somewhere where we desperately need the wisdom of the Spirit, um, of His comfort, and His guiding as we undertake a topic like this. 
So with all that being said, I'm going to read this passage, and then I would like, um, I will pray for us, but you silently can pray as well, that we would both be challenged and comforted where we need to be comforted as we look at this passage. So Romans 12, verses 17 to 21, this is God's word. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we humbly ask that you would come and you would meet us through your word. You know the shape of our lives. You know all of the, uh, the wounds, the successes, all the deep parts that we are either aware of or not aware of um, deep inside of us. Uh, you know where we are far from you, and you know where uh, we need to be called back. So we ask that you would send your spirit this morning, that you would convict us, that you would convict us with truth and with the goodness of your way that is often so different from our way. But Father, for the wounds of those of us who are really struggling with deep wounds, we also pray that you would comfort and that you would wrap us in your embrace, that we might be able to hear these words from a place of deep safety and love and devotion um, of where you are devoted to us. So we put this time in your hands, and we pray that you would work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what I want to go about this this morning. Um, I want to jump right into this and just tackle the, tackle the subject uh, for what it is. And I have three points, um, and they are this. We're going to look at the battle of forgiveness first. We are going to look at the wisdom of forgiveness second. And we're going to look at the pathway to forgiveness third. And so we'll start here in the first place with the battle of forgiveness. And that is, as I use that line because of this. When we look at this, whenever you see a passage like this with these kind of exhortations, particularly to um, uh, the church, this is not just about the church. This is a very human issue that life is filled with uh, situations where others hurt us and that where we are wronged. And this is especially the case oftentimes in the church. And so the very reason we have uh, this passage in a way is kind of bad news because it means that it's needed. It means that life, even the Christian life, is not given with the promise that it is always going to be at peace, that there is always going to be protection from wrongdoing from others. Um, but these are actually words that we're going to need. And we're going to need to chew on and we're going to need to meditate on um, as we go forward in our lives. We see this in verse 18. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you to live at peace, live peaceably with all. But the other side of this is that's not always possible. And that relationships break down, wounds are given, wrongs are done, and life is often a mess. And so we are confronted with having with what to do in the face of being wronged often by others. 
But it gets more than that here. If you look down at this last verse where he says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the part where he's actually using battle language. So this could be translated uh, differently to not be conquered by evil, but actually to conquer evil with good. This is the word, uh, it's the same word we use for Nikes. So it, it means to conquer like in a battle sense or to prevail over another. Um, so this is basically what this is saying is that um, in these situations of potential wrongdoing by others, of receiving wounds, um, other people's doing wrong to us, that we are in, it creates a battle situation. That it is not a neutral situation where you could just take or leave whatever happens. But this is actually a context of a battle where it is creating something inside of us where evil is actually out to overtake and to have its way in our lives and in the lives of other people. And the only option is to be conquered by that evil or in the opposite way, in an active way, to actually conquer the evil with good. There's no middle way. It creates a battle situation. And that isn't just thinking about Nike. So it means that if, um, if somebody wounds you, then it's like you know the evil is going to strap on its best Nikes, and it is coming. It is going to be ready. And unless you strap on your best Nikes and get ready then it is going to have the advantage. It is always in pursuit. This is what Paul is challenging us with, that in conflict, particularly in wrongdoing, it does something inside of us that it actually creates a context of a battle um, between good and between evil, between two outcomes and no evil way. And we've seen, just to illustrate this, we've seen this already. Uh, we've been going back and forth between the books of Romans and the book of Genesis. And we saw very early on in Genesis, some very similar language was used of, in the story about Cain and Abel, if you, remember, if you remember that story. And I would be surprised if Paul doesn't have the story in his mind just because of the language that he's using. Where Abel, two brothers, Cain and Abel, Abel brought an offering to God, and it was a good and acceptable offering. And Cain brought one that was um, just kind of ho-hum. And God didn't take delight in it to the same degree that he, he took in Abel's. And Cain was very upset. He felt like he was wronged in the situation. And what God said to Abel was that, essentially, you need to watch out because sin and evil is on pursuit of you, seeking to have dominion over you, but you have to pay attention to it and rule over it. This is not a, situ- a neutral situation, but you have actually entered into a battle situation. And we know what happened with Cain, and that Cain, rather than ruling over evil, he let his envy get the best of him, and he murdered his brother Abel, and the consequence was that he would became alienated from the ground which, with which he, from which he was made, and he was a restless wanderer on the face of the earth. Now, that's what the Bible says here. That's, this is just straight, what does it say? Um, but I want to unpack that a little bit and say, what does this mean? And that is this. And several have, um, have made these kind of observations, that when you are wounded, if you can think, think back on the last time that somebody, you really felt wronged by somebody else. What was going on inside of you? 
And I think if we think about it and reflect, it is more than just pain. And that is, it says something about us when somebody else wrongs us in a way that takes advantage over us. Um, and that is, we start to, we can have a feeling of powerlessness, like we are not as strong as the other person. It makes us feel weak when somebody is able to wrong us in that way. Um, Sometimes we can think that there is a character flaw inside of us um, that, you know, if I had just done this differently, if I had just said this differently, if I had just been able to stand up for myself in a better way, um, this would not have happened if I had just been more careful. And so it can internalize something in us of where we start to think of ourselves and our own character. Uh, There's just a sense of validation of our personhood that has been taken away when we have been wronged. That we matter. That we are important people. uh, That we are worthy of respect. Um, We are worthy of time. And we are worthy of love. And much less, it creates a deficit of love. The relationships that we were made for, that have been taken away, it creates a form of debt inside of us that have to be filled. So it's way more than pain. And that is when somebody wrongs us, what it does inside of us is it creates a large debt of validation and significance and power that has to be filled. And it will be filled by something or the other. And this is the situation where the battle tends to come because we have to fill that up. We have to have answers to these questions that seemingly have been taken away. And they end up coming out that we could either try to assert ourselves and to return in kind um, the same kind of of wound that we have received, or we have this other option of returning good for evil, which we're going to talk about here in the second point. But there's no real middle ground. There's a battle over how we are going to fill up the vacancy in our hearts that's been created. And here's what this looks like. Several of you may have a story of deep Um, of deep wounds, of abuse, of betrayal, of really, really hard things that have happened to you. In a room this size, there are probably many, many. There could be just just actions of outright selfishness um, that come out between people. This could be, you know, between you and your siblings when you're going through the will of a parent that's just died and the kinds of things that come out um, that can be really hurtful. When somebody takes all the good stuff and doesn't leave the stuff that you wanted to you, um, that can be very, very hurtful. Um, there are also just these repeated patterns in relationships, um, which I was thinking through this week, that even when you know somebody you're in a relationship with doesn't, we'll just say, take out the trash um, as often as they should, despite continual request for them to take out the trash. And so your response is, okay, I'm going to leave all that trash there and I'm going to let it pile up till it just fills up the kitchen and then we'll see how they feel about that. Um, There are hard words um, in arguments that are said back and forth that create wounds. There's being passed over for recognition Uh, There are all kinds of things. And one of the easiest ways to know, to recognize this, when the last time somebody has cut you off in traffic, like where does your mind go? 
or somebody cuts you in line, that do you rehearse, you know, what these plans that you're probably not going to put into action, but what you could do, what you could say, um, how you could get even with the person and fantasize about these kinds of things. I remember somebody a couple years ago um, had a dispute with a landlord and it did not go well. And it was just like, it took weeks of just going over and over and over like, what could I have said? Like, could have really put him in his place? What could I have done to make him feel small uh, because of this? You see how this works? This attitude of getting back and revenge, it is, it is in big things and it is little things. It is something that permeates all of our lives, all the time. It is something that we are confronted with on a day-in, on a day-out basis. And what Paul is warning us here is that this is creating a situation where it puts us in a battle. Where we could be overcome by the lack of validation and want to assert it ourselves. Or we could turn to another option and overcome that evil with good. It creates a battle for forgiveness inside of us. That's the first point. But then that leaves us with the question here is that what does Paul encourage us to do? And this is the second point, the wisdom of forgiveness. And this is something that is so counterintuitive when we look at it. And you see what Paul says to do instead of this? He said, you could return evil for evil, which he recommends not to do. But instead, to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And then in verse 20, um, rather than seeking vengeance, that if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And let me say just one word of explanation what this means about heaping burning coals on somebody's head. There have been several explanations for this. Um, Some, it it could mean a turning over and yearning for the wrath of God to come. For some, it means by doing good, it actually heaps shame on the person because it highlights the wrongdoing done, those kinds of things. Um, I don't know exactly uh, what, and I don't think anyone really does know exactly what this metaphor means, but it is still important and it is meaningful to us here nonetheless. Because when we think about this in terms of overcoming or a battle, that this is by doing this, by doing good, that this is a means of which good becomes effective. And especially if you think about it in terms in the ancient world like, in a, like a weapon, that this is the kind of thing, burning coals, this is the kind of weapon that is actually effective in what is intending to do. Um, it is not condoning that we seek out in a manipulative way to judge or to harm somebody else but it is promoting something in particular by doing good that will actually prevail and be effective here in this situation. So let me point this out. So with, all that, with that being said, Paul is proposing, instead of returning evil for evil, that it is actually wiser to return evil for good. And this quotation from verse 20 comes straight out of the Proverbs. This is actually not something new, Um, that Jesus said, but this comes from the wisdom literature and how it is wise to live. 
Um, It is actually wiser, it is better for us, and it is better for anybody else to pursue this course of action. And what does that mean? I think what it means is this, as I kind of said in the beginning, that these things, they are, these are ordinary, everyday activities. It is not saying that we have to say that whatever wounds happen don't matter. It is not saying that there are not natural consequences for relationships that have been broken. But as the opportunity presents itself, whenever, when we could give evil or could do good, it is wiser in everyday ways, in feeding and providing food and providing thirsty, something that, something that has a need, to persevere in doing these acts of good. And in some way, that actually overcomes the debt of evil rather than perpetuating it. And so here's, let's try to unpack this. Again, this might be something that we can receive Paul's instruction, but what does that mean? And what does that mean in real life actually becomes rather challenging. And this is, when I was thinking about this, um, I remember looking through on Wikipedia trying to figure out how the um, Bosnian-Serbian War in the mid to early 90s, how it started, and figuring out all the ins and outs of this and how it worked. And I could not get to the bottom of it and figure out where it started and where all the atrocities came from. It was really, really complicated. And that what you have is the story of where one party felt wounded in one way and then acted in kind on it and then wounded the other party, and it went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and then you have generations and generations and generations of just wounds and evil. Nothing was solved in any way. All that happened in the long run, even though it felt right in the moment, was that harm was perpetuated more and more and more and more and more, and that harm actually came back on each party that caused harm in the first place. And here's what happens with revenge. By returning evil for evil, Paul gives us this hint, is that all it does is that you get double the evil rather than double the good. And just as Cain, by returning evil for evil, he became alienated from the ground in which he was made, the goodness of what he was made for, he became a restless wanderer on the face of the earth. And that nothing was satisfied. He satisfied something in the short term, but in the long term, he created far more harm than he ever ever created good. And here's the question what Paul is giving to us um, in this instruction from God. And that there is a way, like it says in the Proverbs, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads only to death. And what Paul is proposing here for us in these situations of where we are tempted to go to revenge, that it is actually better for us not to return evil for evil, even though that seems right. It is actually better for us, our own souls, and our own selves to persevere in doing good. Because in order to live in a situation where you have been hurt, What that takes is a hardening of the heart, a protective attitude in other relationships, 
And it, what it does is it ends up affecting not only that relationship, but all relationships. That the act of having to hard the, harden the heart to protect itself in order to continue in this situation of evil and conflict, then that hard heart only learns how to be hard. It doesn't soften. It, we become, over time, more and more alienated from other people. We become more and more alienated from ourselves. And particularly, we become more and more alienated from the goodness of how God has designed the world to work. By breaking something twice, it doesn't make it mend. And I was, had been impressed by this. I had to, before going to RYM a couple years ago, do an um, online sexual abuse training seminar. And one of the, the ladies who was in there who was telling her story said that she just struggled and struggled and struggled with the desire for revenge of something that was very, very wrong to her. And then a pastor said one time, just use the illustration, that withholding forgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping that the other person is going to die. It does more harm to ourselves than it does make things right for ourselves or for the other person. Paul is challenging us here about the wisdom of actually returning good, persevering in good towards people rather than resorting to solving it ourselves and returning evil for evil. That is hard because the wounds are real, because the hurts are deep, and because the unsettledness that creates, it lingers. And how do we do that? And that's this. This last point, the pathway to forgiveness, very briefly, it is all summed up here in one verse. Um, in verse 19, he says, Behold, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. What Paul is challenging us here to do and how to do this is not to stand up stronger, not to develop muscles so that we can just take wounds in a better way. What he is calling us to do is actually entrust ourselves to somebody who is trustworthy to take care of us. This, at the end of the day, is a task that is all about trust. He says that all of that desire for vengeance, all of the wounds, rather than dismissing it, rather than going after it, he is calling us to look right at it, to acknowledge that it's there, and actually hand it into the hands of God, the only one who is trustworthy to actually do something about it and do it effectively. This is an invitation to trust our Savior with our lives by what we are being challenged to do here. And there are two reasons why God is faithful in order to be able to handle that and handle that from us. And the first one is this. Paul has spent, again, um, up to 12 chapters now unpacking how the gospel works. And it is not just a gospel about... Um, Mercy given to other people. It is a gospel about mercy that has been extended to us. And in the very first place, in the cross, God was able to look at us, both wounded and continuing to live in rebellion against him. And rather than return kind and kind to us, he laid down his life for us. 
This is what we just read about in the forgiveness of sin. That um, people might die for a righteous person, but what Christ did for you and for me is that he laid down his life for somebody who was in rebellion against him. Christ knows you. He knows you inside and out. He knows the good parts. He knows the bad parts. He was able to extend mercy to you when you were lost and when you were desperate. He is faithful to handle your own sin, your own vengeance, and He is faithful to handle the sin of others. And in fact, when you read stories like in throughout this week of unpacking this, reading story after story about of just other examples of people who have been wronged, the number one thing that kept coming up again and again and again is that the single thing that was the most freeing was to recognize that they too, in a way, were lost and that they have been extended mercy. And there is a softening that happens in recognizing even our own sin and handing ourselves to Christ, the one who is able to cover for us. That's half of it. There is another half. And I wonder what you thought. We read Psalm 94 um, early on here uh, for our our reading, and that is for a, a purpose. The Psalms are actually full of ideas of vengeance. And these are actually the psalms that are very uncomfortable uh, for us to read. These are the psalms that are point to when God, uh, to say that, you know, God is a monster. Why would he do these things? Why God could never be vengeful like this. But there is a sense in which that God being true and just, he knows and he feels the wounds that have been given to others. He is the God that is able to extend mercy He is also the God who is faithful to make everything right and to execute justice. By entrusting your wounds and your pain to him is not putting them to the side as if they are not there. It is actually an act of acknowledging they're there and handing them to the God who is actually able to do something about it. Some wounds are too big for us to heal. And this... um, I don't know if you guys have followed the story of Camille McKinney, the little girl who was um, abducted and murdered in, uh, in Woodlawn here in Birmingham, made national news. It is one of those situations where you just look at it and say, this, there is no justice here. This is just wrong. Like, how could this happen? It is just so utterly tragic. Like, is the world really like this kind of sense? But there is a place to which we have to recognize both sides of this, that when we are faced with that kind of injustice and that kind of wrongdoing, it is actually comforting to know that God himself is offended and that his justice is white hot and he will make it right. And so where we are left, when we see what is inside the sin that is inside of us, and we see the wounds that are outside of us that are continuing to happen again and again and again. What we have we have been given by Jesus is the cross. The ultimate way where God has shown himself to be faithful to both extend mercy and to administer justice in a way that we never could. And through looking at the cross, what he does for us is he asks us rather than trying to solve every aspect of that ourselves, but to look at the wounds 
and to hand it to him because he is faithful and he is just to administer justice and mercy exactly in the way that needs that is fitting. This is a God who has given himself to you when you were lost, when you were in rebellion against him, he laid down his life for you. He knows you and he is trustworthy to handle whatever it is that could ever happen to you. So the question here this leaves us is simply this. Will you trust him? Will you look at him and will you look at the cross and will you look at your life with eyes wide open and will you hand your life to him, the one who has demonstrated that he is trustworthy to handle it? That's it. I think we need to pray that uh, God would help us to do that. Dear Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your mercy that has been extended to us. And thank you for your justice that you have promised. Father, we ask that you would give us comfort. That you would give us the kind of security and validation. That you would allow us to be able to hand over even our wounds from other people to you. That you would hold us. That you would prevent us from creating more and more evil but that you would lead us in the straight path of persevering and doing good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.